0: This is following Jesus into a world in crisis. I'm Andrew and together we are exploring how we live as wise and loving neighbors in the wake of COVID-19. Now, we haven't experienced anything quite like this before, but we believe that we can find hope and peace by turning to Jesus. And with his help, we can make peace in a fearful world. Let's get into today's podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. It is Tuesday, April 14th, and we are still under quarantine together, which is just absolutely insane to think about. Um, I'm really, really proud of how so many of you have responded to this crisis. Um, I know it's required a lot of patience, a lot of courage, really, to sort of um, look into our future at what we're up against and uh, to trust in Jesus. And I'm just really really proud of how so many of you have reached out to share what God is doing in your life and story. I'm also really excited about the engagement that we've had in all of the really unique things that we're pursuing right now because we can't gather in our normal ways. It's really a beautiful reality that church cannot be canceled because we are the people of Jesus. We are a family. You can't cancel family. So we've been, uh, of course, practicing social distancing and doing all of what we can to help Um, flatten the curve, as they say. But at the same time, we're leaning into the 21st century. We've got tech at our disposal and all of the other small ways we can practice church together. And it's been really fun to see care crews take off. You can Go online and and check out what we're doing. Care crews. I really encourage you to join one if you're not already in one. Basically, a care crew is just loving your neighbor well, taking ownership for the well being of the people around you. And those of you who have engaged with that, it's been life changing. It's been really a huge gift, um, of course, to one another. But we've also already started to see how the love and the peace and the joy of Jesus is beginning to spread um in our community and that's beautiful and not just the christian community but the larger community as well and i'm just so pumped about that really grateful also um if you tuned into our easter gathering you know that um again it's kind of like a a, a, a both very weird easter but also a really exciting easter when resurrection day the day that we celebrate jesus's victory um intersects with coronavirus and the power of jesus the joy of jesus the peace of jesus going out. What does that look like for us to embody this message in this time? And if you tuned in, you know that um, we decided as a church that we are going to pray around the clock for spiritual awakening in Central Oregon and our world. And we're just taking COVID-19 as simply as, as I can put it, as a call to prayer, where we fall to our knees and cry out for God to move with power in our time and in our day and um, if you've been tuning into this podcast you know we've been talking all about how we believe that um, and for as evidence from history that these kinds of cultural crises global crises can actually give rise to spiritual awakening and so we just don't want this time to be wasted Uh, We have to go through this. It's not that we want to go through this, but since we are going through this and our world is going through this, why not dedicate and commit this time that we have to crying out for revival and the sort of hunger and appetite with which you have approached this project and this prayer meeting has been such a humongous gift to me as your pastor and friend. We've had um, several hundred responses. Several hundred people who are going to be praying over the next couple of weeks around the clock, um, through the middle of the night even, for awakening and revival. It's so, so beautiful to see you guys respond in this way. In fact, I just um, came off of a couple of hours of praying myself um, as a part of this 24-7 prayer movement, and I decided to do two in a row because... Um, I love spending an hour with the Lord. It just is a really great time. But I thought, man, what if I stretched that out and actually did two hours? And I went for a walk, and I was listening to the Scripture and praying, and it was just a huge, huge gift to me. But also, I really believe that as we pray and ask God to spread His love, to show His love to the world, that He is going to do that And he's also going to empower us to do it, too. So the creativity and innovation that's coming out of this is actually pretty fun and exciting. And, of course, we're just one church of thousands in Oregon that are doing similar things. So I want to put the word out there to you, though. If you have not already committed to pray, will you please resolve within yourself to pray with Grace and I, pray with our team, pray with our elders, for spiritual awakening, we know it might seem daunting to pray for an hour, and we totally get that. Um, we've created a great website, pray um, yeah prayben.org, and we've got all kinds of resources. We've been developing some prayer guides that will sort of help structure your time um, as you're praying, and um, we've had a lot of fun with that. And also, we've gotten great feedback as well. So please do not let this moment go by without resolving within yourself to say, you know what, I follow after Jesus and this is an opportune time for me to stop and to pray for revival. So pray with us, join the CARE crew. Also, you can follow along on Sundays with the Living Room Liturgy. There's lots of great stuff going on. Um, So like today, here's what we're going to be talking about. Again, the premise of this series of podcasts is that moments of global crisis can be a catalyst for spiritual awakening. We believe that's at least three things, a call to prayer, a call to redemptive action, which is what care crews are all about, and a call to become a non-anxious presence, a non-anxious presence. And we explored this idea last week. If you missed uh, the podcast where we talked about on becoming a non-anxious presence, I encourage you to go back and to listen to that. Um, And I got some more evidence that I think we are actually moving in this direction. Um, I was reading the news not too long ago, and I discovered this article that Bible sales are way, way up throughout COVID-19. Bible sales are up, and people are looking for hope and for courage in in a new way. And of course, that doesn't necessarily mean everyone is you know, seeking Jesus necessarily, but it's definitely a positive sign or at least an indicator that um, people in moments of crisis are really looking for real hope, sources of hope. And we have that hope because we follow the risen Jesus. And so becoming a non-anxious presence is a huge part of sort of tipping the scales, as it were, in an anxious system or an anxious culture to see people actually look to us and say, oh my word, there's people who are living at peace in the midst of this crazy crisis. And um, I wonder what they got. I wonder what hope they have. And of course, that hope is Jesus. Uh, So um, a lot of us are asking this question right now. What are we supposed to do to help? And um, that is a great, great question. Obviously, I've been asking that a lot lately, and that's where a lot of our ideas uh, for church in this time have come from. Uh, What are we supposed to do right now to help? But I think an equally important question is, who am I becoming? Not just what am I supposed to do to help, but how is God wanting to shape me as a person in a crisis like this, that might in turn change the people around me. So, we are meant to do uh, and be proactive and be productive, but we're also meant to be um, people who are people of character, are being shaped into the image of Jesus. And I think that's especially important around this question um, as it relates to becoming a non anxious presence. As the great Pete Scazzaro puts it, he says, you cannot give away what you do not possess or what you do not have. That's just leadership 101. So if we're saying, hey, we want to be non-anxious and we want to make peace in our community and in our world, we have to first be at peace with ourselves and with God. So you can't give away what we do not have. So um, we need to be asking this question, what do I do to help? But also who am I becoming and who does God want to shape me to become in this time? So, This is spiritual formation and spiritual formation is so critical always, but especially right now, as it relates to our mission, if this premise that we've been exploring is true, that, um, moments of cultural crisis can give rise to spiritual awakening, then what we, we, we don't need a bunch of flashy new ideas to get the gospel out. What we need is you, we need you We need you well-rested, full of the Spirit, soaked in prayer, free from worry and anxiety, and moving towards your circle of influence with the love of Jesus. And really, honestly, that's what the church has always been about and always supposed to be about in theory. But in a heightened moment like the one that we live in, your witness as a well-cared for, well-rested, full of Spirit, soaked in prayer, free from Worry and anxiety that has a dramatic impact when everyone else is uh, just deeply, deeply um, worried and anxious. You guys, I'm sorry if I'm sounding not totally myself. I'm starting to lose my voice. I have allergies right now. I don't think it's coronavirus because I've been practicing social distancing, but. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of dealing with my uh, allergies right now. So if you're having a hard time hearing me, I apologize. But we're going to make it through. Um. So this topic we want to explore today um, is, yeah, is who are we becoming in the midst of this crisis? And I think that there are a couple of great things that are happening that can actually help our spiritual formation. One of those things is what I'm calling forced Pause. We are on forced pause. So what we're going to talk about is reclaiming social distancing as an opportunity to slow down and to enjoy the presence of God. And what would happen if you reclaimed this time? You didn't let it go to waste. You didn't <laughs> finish Netflix or whatever, but you decided to... Give your time to practicing the presence of God and enjoying Him and actually slowing down. Now, it's no secret that by and large, our culture is hurry sick. And what I mean by that is that there's always too much to do in a day. There's too many people to see. There's too many emails. There's too much that's required of us. And by the way, I'm speaking to myself here. I'm super, super bad at this. I would totally fall under the category of hurry sick. I like to move fast that's just I have this one speed in fact it gets me into trouble in my marriage all the time because uh, when it's time to go I'm ready to go so let's get out the door let's get where we need to go um, but my wife on the other hand grace she's the sweetest person on planet earth and she just goes at a completely different speed and it's actually gotten me into trouble while we're under quarantine because my same I'm still moving at my same speed a lot of the time and Grace is just asking me like Hey, what are you hurried for? Like, why are you in such a rush? We're not going anywhere. We're not seeing anybody. There's no appointment to keep. And yet you're still moving at this pace. And she's totally and completely right. There's a lot of um, psychology and work that's being done at the moment on hurry sickness. So not coincidentally, our hurry sickness has gotten way, way worse since 2007, which is the year that the iPhone was released. And some of you are, like me, old enough to remember that in the early 2000s, a lot of this new tech that was being released at the, um, back in the early 2000s, like things like the iPhone, these were being branded as time-saving devices. So you're gonna get your email on your phone, you're gonna do your work on the go, you're gonna have all of these apps that are multitasking and note-taking and they're going to help synthesize your work and make everything simpler, easier, quicker. In fact, in the 1970s, people thought that technology would actually cut our work time in half. And so sociologists at the time were asking questions about what will happen to the human race with all of this leisure time on our hands. Like in 2020, if we have all of this tech that's going to help save us time, we're going to have all of this leisure time. and What's that's going to do to us? Are we going to be bored? Are we going to be lazy? And it seems funny even thinking about that now, because obviously it could not be further from the truth. What's actually happened is that LED screens, unlimited Wi-Fi, like the entire world, like in our pocket has caused work and and um, just connection with others to bleed into every single sort of nook and cranny of our lives. And of course, it's not just work, but it definitely is work. I wouldn't be surprised to learn that many of you, um, when you leave work on a Friday evening, let's say in your normal work a life, um, you get home and if you were to open up your phone at you know 10 p.m. or whatever, you've got a bunch of new notifications from clients, from your boss or whatever the case may be. The reality is, is that we used to leave our work at the office and then... We would have free headspace and free energy and free time to really um, yeah, practice the presence of God, enjoy our loved ones, slow down for a time. But with the advent of these so-called time-saving devices like the iPhone and others, where actually um, work is following us wherever we go. And we may not be connected to it all the time, but it's really burning a hole in our pocket, as they say. Um, so I'm not a Luddite, um by any stretch, but what I am saying is that um, tech is causing hurry sickness to be amplified in our culture. And it's not just me saying this, obviously. Basically, um, everyone who's doing any work in this arena is coming to the same conclusion. In fact, Andrew Sullivan, um, I think he's at Columbia University. He writes some really great articles on this stuff for like the New Yorker and a bunch of other places as well. So, Andrew Sullivan's a really interesting one to check out if you want to do some additional reading on this. Um, but again, it's not just work, is it, right? Like developers, advertisers, they know that we are addicted to our tech, checking it hundreds of times a day. In fact, that was the original purpose or uh, mission, uh, uh, unstated mission of um, the early social media sites was to basically keep us like t- totally connected to these apps. So they have these infinite feeds. You can keep, you can log on to Instagram now and just scroll infinitely into the internet. It's insane. And so, um, they're vying for our attention and they're selling our attention to advertisers. Right. Um, and as a pastor, I see this all over the place. And by the way, I fall prey to it. Um, we are genuine, generally over busy stressed out and then we also sort of deal with the sort of ambient anxiety of all of these social media sites that uh, have a lot of good we use social media now more than ever actually uh, at riverbend to get our word out but there's so much too that if we allow ourselves to be consumed we can just be sucked in to this portal that doesn't doesn't have your best in mind it really is out to sell you and your attention So um, the reason why I bring all of this up is, of course, it has uh, a lot to do with our emotional health. We talked about last week how stats on anxiety in Western culture are just absolutely through the roof. And that's, you know, not me again, not me saying that, but that's just all the research that's that's coming out right now. Um, And a lot of that has to do not coincidentally with um, the, the rise of tech and social media and all of that. So we need to be really wise about it. But but it goes deeper than just your personal emotional health. Although I would, I would argue that that's extremely important that the other thing that I want to talk about though, is that we cannot be over busy and at the same time, enjoy the presence of God. It just doesn't really, those things are not compatible, right? Like when I am hurrying to get out the door, with my wife, I'm not at the same time enjoying her company and actively loving her. I'm prodding her to do what I want, right? And the reality is, is that when we have this hurry-sick sort of mentality, we're over-busy, and at this speed, this pace, um, we are unable to enjoy the presence of God. The great Dallas Willard says that um, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in the West. And he says that hurry is not our speed; it's actually trusting in our speed, which I think is so insightful. So insightful. So, his whole premise, which our friend John Mark Comer has explored deeply in his in his new book, "The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry," which is fantastic. If you haven't picked it up, you absolutely have to do. it. It's been so so great. But what Willard was hitting on well before the advent of the iPhone. Was that hurry is an enemy of spiritual life, because it's not. It's an. It can become like an idol, because we're trusting in our speed. It's not our speed. Hurry isn't our speed necessarily. Some of you just work faster, walk faster than others, right? But it's trusting in your speed. It's saying, um, if I work at this pace, then I then I'm in, I'm in control, or I'm controlling outcomes, or things will be okay with me or good with me, or I'll be successful, whatever the case may be. It's trusting in, if I go faster, things are going to go better for me, instead of trusting in Jesus. So we, so there's all kinds of sort of ideas here that are converging, but the, the general premise is that we cannot be over-busy and enjoy the presence of God at the same time. And if that's true then we, can't, we also cannot be formed into the image of Jesus at the same time we are over busy and over hurried. So formation, which is how we grow in our discipleship to Jesus, it's how we are changed and transformed to use Romans 12 language, is a slow, patient process of being transformed over time through spending intentional time in the presence of God. So, um, we cannot do that if we are overhurried and overbusy. They are um, self um, contradictory, or yeah, they're contradictory ideas. So, John Mark puts it like this that when we are hurry sick, it increases the speed of our relationships, and we end up with an interactions that are incompatible. With love, joy, and peace, sort of the whole attitude and disposition and mission of Jesus is impossible um is john Mark's theory that when we're hurry sick, we just cannot love well uh, we don't love at the speed of hurry right um so um what we want to explore is of course well we want to um move out of this place of immaturity as it relates to our relationship to our phones and to time. And I think that, not coincidentally, the time of coronavirus is introducing a lot of opportunity for us to, to really grow in this because all of our relationships with time have dramatically changed in the last month. Um, we are on a forced pause. And by that, I mean, all of our normal rhythms have been deeply disrupted by COVID-19. And we are having to adjust our schedules to the new normal. And that is what I'm, again, what I'm calling this idea of forced pause. I'm thinking about when I, when I think about this concept, I think about uh, the prophet Elijah back in 1 Kings chapters 17 and 18. He's on Mount Carmel uh, with the people of, of God, the people of Yahweh, Israel. But they had been following all kinds of uh, false gods and one in particular named Baal. And the king at the time, Ahab, had this wife Jezebel and they were Baal worshipers. And so Elijah is this, um, this prophet, this true prophet of Yahweh, and, and he challenges the king, and he challenges the prophets of Baal. And there's this showdown on Mount Carmel, and it's actually extremely powerful, where, um, where Elijah preaches this impassioned sermon, that if Baal is God, then serve him. But if Yahweh is God, then serve Him. How long are you going to be two divided, or how long are you going to be divided between two opinions? And then they set up this test, and eventually, long story short, obviously Yahweh is proven to be the true God, and Baal to be a false god, and um, so it's this magnificent moment uh in 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 a really dark time in Israel's history and Elijah has a lot to do with that and after this event all of a sudden Elijah is public enemy number 1 uh, from the empire from the king and queen and so he's forced to run and he does he's he runs into the wilderness and he's exhausted absolutely exhausted to the point where he falls underneath a tree, <laughs> basically, and just says, God, I'm done. Just take me now. He's totally deflated and actually depressed as well. He just has nothing left. He's been going way too hard for too long. He had a really high moment, but it cost him dearly emotionally. He was taxing to do what Elijah was doing. The work of God can at times be that way. And so he's just beside himself and just says "God take me now there's no there's nothing less for left for me which is really tragic, but then what happens in one Kings nineteen is that um Elijah just falls asleep and then he wakes up a whole day later and angels are there ministering to him and And the spirit says, rise and eat. So he gets up and he eats some food prepared by the angels. I don't understand all of the nuances of the story, but I just love it. And then he goes back to sleep for another full day. And then he goes back to sleep for another full day. He's just in this place of needing to slow down and to rest because he's so deeply exhausted. I don't know about you guys, but this forced pause came at an opportune time or an important time for for me. Twenty twenty, even before coronavirus was was long and arduous and 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 difficult. And there's a lot happening all at once. And so I was pretty emotionally exhausted a couple of weeks ago. And hurrying at a pace that I know is is I can manage for a bit, but isn't isn't healthy for me or for anyone around me. Um, and so this this time of coronavirus has kept me home a lot more. Um, I'm spending seven nights a week um, having dinner with my family, putting my kids to bed, getting them up in the morning. I'm sleeping better. My pace has significantly slowed down. And now we're still having to do a ton of work um, for Riverbend and actually retool and and redefine what we're doing. So it has been um, still busy in one sense and and, uh, substantive, really substantive work. But um, by and large, my pace, the amount of people I see, has gone way, way down, and uh, my suspicion is that the same is true for you. You're spending more time at home. You're spending more time with your family or your um, your uh, roommates, and a lot of us are actually furloughed from work. And so, for the most part, we've all gained back a considerable amount of time. So, what if we leaned into that? We didn't. We didn't. Uh, you know, necessarily. Uh, obviously, there's there's things that we wish we could be doing. One of my one of the things that I dearly miss is going to Spork and getting their spicy fried chicken and going out to coffee with you guys and. Um, and all of the things that we normally do. But what if we said, okay, that's off the table for now, but let's lean into the gift that God may be giving us here and redeem this time by taking back a little bit of our sanity and resetting some rhythms that are actually sustainable and that are going to actually give us the opportunity to truly love. So we're slowing ourselves down to the point where it's possible to listen to God, to listen to others, to have empathy for the people around us, and maybe even enter into spiritual formation in a deeper way. And Jesus had practices built into his life that intentionally slowed him down. Now, Jesus, of course, didn't have an iPhone, but there were a lot of demands on him in his time. Um, he was obviously filled with authority and power and was healing the sick and Um, Stepped into all kinds of situations and he was sought after and had a lot of demands on him. But he had these practices that were built into the rhythms of his life that intentionally slowed him down to spend time with his father. So while he had demands, he wasn't rushed. He moved at the pace of love. There's this really great um, documentary called The Three Mile-an-Hour God. And I forget who even put it out, but um, my friend Pete showed it to me. It's really, really powerful because Jesus went slow enough to notice and to love people. He's walking through these small Galilean villages three miles an hour at a time. So one of those practices that we learn from the way of Jesus is what we like to call silence and solitude which is intentional time in the quiet to be alone with ourselves and God. One of the sort of biblical anchors to this practice is Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. It's like after one massive full day for Jesus doing ministry in Galilee. And uh, it's actually one of the first days of his ministry, um, according to the gospel of Mark. And um in Mark Mark one, verse thirty five, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So that solitary place is the is the word Aramos, and it's this this idea of um being in the wilderness, being in the quiet, being in, in the um, yeah, being alone. So this, this idea of the solitary place is actually woven into the fabric of Jesus' life. In fact, a lot of scholars will even sort of trace that the more popularity that Jesus got, the more time he spent in the Aremos, spending alone time with the father. So, um, I know that there's many of us who are extroverted, who would really enjoy people. And you might be kind of listening to this idea as it's developing and go, okay, yeah, I see that I need to spend time alone with God, but I'm spending so much time alone right now. And all I want is people And all I want is my relationships back and the freedom to go to the pub and enjoy a great beer and some food with my friends. And I totally get that. And if you are extroverted, you are a gift to our church. You're a gift to our community. We love you. There's nothing wrong with being extroverted. So this may be sort of like an uphill practice for you to practice silence and solitude. But the reality is, is that we all need alone time to be with God. So extroverts. You're sort of living in uh, an introvert world right now. And uh, so you have an opportunity to lean into this uphill practice to say, you know what? Yeah, this isn't my my first go-to practice, but I'm going to lean into it and I'm going to grow from my time. With the Lord. Henry Nowen, in his uh, little book, The Way of the Heart, which is a fantastic read, by the way. If you haven't picked it up, you should pick that one up too. It's like, I don't know, 70 pages. Uh, But Henry Nowen writes this He says, Without solitude, it's virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be alone with God and listen to Him. And that is a pretty strongly worded sentence, isn't it? We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be alone with God and listen to him. And while that does sound pretty strongly worded, if you were to apply that same construct or that same idea to, let's say, a marriage or your marriage, if you're married, yeah, if you're not intentionally caring for and connecting with your spouse, then it's it's hard to suggest that you're actually taking that seriously. So we have this this um we have this sense that we really need to devote ourselves especially now in the covid moment to set aside significant time to be alone with God. And um in silence and solitude, we notice that at least for me anyways when i sit alone in the quiet to be with God one of the things that first will happen is all of the things that I've been sort of maybe suppressing or or not thinking about that are sort of below the surface of my consciousness, as soon as I stop to spend some time with God, all of those things rush to the surface. So really a skill that we learn in practicing silence and solitude is learning how to turn down the noise of our overbusy lives and to just be with God. So, when you practice silence and solitude, if this is a new uphill practice for you, the first step is just going to be learning how to deal with the noise that comes to your mind when you are practicing silence and stillness. Um, one of the things that has helped me. Because I tend to be uh, kind of high energy and have a lot going on in my brain most of the time, is that I love to just go for a walk. For whatever reason, a walk will sort of calm me down. Um, others of you might actually um, benefit from like writing down the things that are popping into your mind, and then you say, "Okay, I'm going to deal with this after I'm done." Um, and that's those are good. Those are good little tips or tricks in order to kind of work through that. Um, I think that this practice, silence and solitude, might be the best practice or one of the best practices from the way of Jesus. If you are overstressed, overworked, people doubt, emotionally unhealthy, because by being alone in the quiet with God, it's healing to our soul. Again, we explored this idea before. God is the one who who truly heals us. He searches our hearts. He knows what's going on beneath the surface of our consciousness, even the things that we are not fully present to ourselves. And he is powerful to save. He knows what to do to heal your heart and to heal you. And so um, really coming to the Lord with everything that's going on inside of you is a beautiful place to go, obviously. So when we slow down long enough to sort of feel all the emotions that we've been running from, uh, we discover this new place of freedom from our internal and external critics, and we just begin to enjoy being a daughter or a son of God. So, this, I, this place of identity, when you practice the presence of God and when you practice stillness and silence, the, initially, like I said, it, it can be um, one of those things where you find yourself just scattered and thinking about all kinds of other things besides God. But as you press in deeper, and uh, you recognize that God is there to help heal you, then what you discover is that you are coming to a place of identity. You're not doing anything in particular. You're actually just being. You're being a daughter or a son of God, which is such a critical element to living a, a full life in the kingdom of God is to be secure in and assured of who you are not just what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to behave but who you are Um, another thing that i would say about this is that you are not designed to live off of spiritually a 40-minute teaching by me two to three sundays a month that is just not going to cut it for you especially in moments like the one where we're in, you're just going to be starving for more from God, as you should be. And you have all kinds of tools at your disposal to enjoy the presence of God. Um, Augustine, St. Augustine from the 3rd century, he, he said, You have made us for yourself, God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So you, the reason why... You're always starving for more or feel like maybe a couple of sermons per month just are not cutting it for you. It's because you were designed for so much more. You were designed for intimacy and connection and deep relationship with God. And that takes intentional time in the quiet where you're not just jabbering on about the things that you need from God but you are simply cultivating a love relationship with him. And that's why silence and solitude is such an exciting practice. All right, one final thought here before we um, sort of transition to talk about how we're going to practice this this week. Um, In order to really live into silence and solitude, We have to understand that this practice is very counterintuitive to the American way. And what I mean by that is that we tend to look at silence and solitude, spiritual practice, like we look at everything else. What am I going to get if I do it? Like we're consumers by nature and we're just sort of wired that way. Um but silence and solitude it's sort of diametrically opposed to that the, that that idea of production and consumption it's resistance against that spirit of what do i get from god if i do this and it's not the sort of the self-improvement narrative or mantra or whatever it's sitting alone in the silence it's this, by definition non-consumption and it's not about production So it's sort of outside of our normal categories. And it's an invitation to live a whole different story. So I'll leave you with Dallas Willard. Again, he writes this. When we go into silence and solitude, we stop making demands on God. It is enough that God is God and we are his. We learn that we have a soul, that God is here, that this is my father's world. I love that. So in Silence of Solitude, it's it's really not about what you're going to get out of it necessarily. Um, If you go into it with that sort of um, attitude, you're probably going to end up disappointed or at the very least a little bit um, confused. Um, But a couple of tips for you. Just relax. This is actually a work of the Spirit. He's the one doing the heavy lifting. You are going to be deeply changed over time, but it's not going to be one of those things that you necessarily see right off the bat, and if you go into it with this expectation of what you're going to get out of it, again, you're going to sort of miss the point. This is about God setting the agenda and God doing what He wants to do. So you may get a super profound prophetic vision or a word or the Lord might direct you to a scripture that's totally life changing. Or it may just be 10 minutes in the quiet where you notice your breathing and notice the presence of God all around you. And you begin to become a little bit more content and a little bit more non anxious and filled with peace. Um, But you're not doing much in silence and solitude. You're just simply being. You are a child of God. That's who you are. Um also another sort of quick tip is that you're gonna need to be really self-aware. Like you need to know your wiring, your personality. Is silence and solitude one of those things that, as I described a minute ago, is going to be an uphill practice for you. It's going to take a lot of concerted sort of awareness Uh, to sit still, or to be still, and to listen to the Lord. Um, Maybe it's a downhill practice for you, and you're already just like really loving the silence and loving time alone, and you are really naturally sort of wired that way. Either way, you need that sort of awareness to know how God may be coming to you, and how you may need to sort of humble yourself as you approach Him. And then Here's what I would recommend for just the coming week. If you want to step into this, um, here's what I would recommend. Just simply identify a time and place that works best for you. Um, For a lot of people, that's the early morning before the rest of the people in the house get up. Um, I know that's what works for me. So you are going to just identify a time and place that works best. Set a modest goal of 10 to 15 minutes. I'm just going to be alone in the quiet with God. And then I'm going to, Put away distraction. This is a really, really key one. If you have your iPhone on or around you, it's going to be a distraction or at least an opportunity for distraction. So make sure all of that is just completely out of your field of view. And then just breathe deep and welcome the Holy Spirit. Again, no agenda, no prayer list, no devotional. Just be in the presence of God. And then have the courage to show up. Be really present in that moment and just enjoy what the Lord brings to your mind. Um, and then lastly, um, just to leave you with a few um, opportunities or ways to explore this a lot further. This was a very brief overview, um, while at the same time, it looks like I've been going for about 40 minutes here, so you guys have um, hung in very, very good, but a couple of resources to to. To read, if you're interested, you can get the invitation to a journey by Robert Mulholland. It's an amazing introduction to silence of solitude, as well as a lot of other slow down spirituality practices, which is great. Uh, invitation to silence of solitude by Ruth Haley Barton is by far like the best on this practice that I've come come across. It's very very good. Um, I'd highly recommend you pick it up. Also, um, John Mark Comer wrote The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, published late last year, fantastic book um, that's on very similar ideas, but really he, he talks a lot about hurry sickness and in a lot of ways is sort of autobiographical as him as like a very type A pastor who's learning how to slow down and enjoy the presence of God. And it's fantastic. So, so good. Uh, also, you can go to Bridgetown Church. Um, uh, Bridgetown.church or something like that I think is their website or practicingtheway.org because um, and John Mark who's the pastor at Bridgetown Church has done a lot of really great teaching both on silence and solitude and on hurry so it's well worth your time to check that stuff out I love you guys and if there's anything at all that we can do to serve you we would love that chance so you can reach out to us on Instagram or go to our website we love you guys, grace and